0: Hey, everyone. I want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Copper. Copper is an institutional custodian in crypto and provider of Prime Services. They're also one of my favorite companies in the space. So thank you very much to Copper for making this episode possible. You're going to be hearing all about them later in the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another weekly round edition of On The Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my boisterous co-host, Mr. Mark Yuskal. Whoa, okay.
1: Setting the bar high or basically saying you... Um might have been a little too boisterous last evening, so I'm going <laughs> to carry the load today since you're out celebrating with, with your mates. But you uh, so, you know, I, 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 I have some stuff to talk about, but a uh, quick reveal, right? So, you know, it's Bitcoin Friday, so I got, I got the orange on. And uh, we went with the cold storage socks. Love it. Uh, for two reasons. One, as a shout out to everybody who is freezing there, took us off. Uh, places like where your parents are up in Montana and Wyoming and Colorado. I mean, it's it's cold. Now, I guess in Oklahoma, where my my wife and daughter are going to celebrate my mother-in-law's 85th birthday, it's like one, so that's coming here four days from now, but it's cold. But more importantly, every single day for the foreseeable future, a couple hundred million, two, three, four hundred million million, two, three, $400 million of Bitcoin, Are going into cold storage, and they're not coming out, and that supply dynamic is just not understood right now. Everybody's like, "Oh, the the ETF was such a failure." What are you talking about? On on every measure, it was a wild success. On every measure, on trading volume, on on inflows, you know, today I think it's like the fifth highest uh uh daily inflow of all of them including the big dogs like triple q and v o o so just silly but it was like but the price fell like yep that's what happens when and we talked a little bit about this, but I didn't talk enough about it. There was a whole bunch of front running, and then we probably all underestimated the outflows from g b
0: t c yep yeah. So, So we've got some. So just to put in context here, I'll I'll share my screen. Um, We got to have Eric Balkunas back on here because uh, I keep referring to the content that he's putting out. He's done a phenomenal job covering this. But uh, if you look at, like, just uh, just another way to put in context the volume that these what what he's dubbed the newborn nine, the the new uh, nine approved spot ETFs. I mean. Look at look at these volume numbers. <laughs> this is a uh, this is iBit and FBTC. So that's iShares and Fidelity's uh, ETFs. They're in the top five for volume on all US ETFs. Like to your yeah. point, right below uh, QQQ and VOO, and even Bitwise <laughs> would love to see Bitwise here. Bitwise is also in the top ten. So yeah. it's just I think it's a phenomenal success. And there was always going to be overhang in terms of GBTC. Uh, they still kept very, very high rates. They've got 150 basis points compared yep. to, I mean, Bitwise has a waiver, right, on the first six months yeah. or something like that, or below a certain a certain number of AUM. But uh, here is the here is the overall. Um, this is the most updated data in terms of flows and volumes as well. But t- to your point, uh, so both um, uh, the on day five, uh, FBTC actually cracked a billion as well. So the amount of uh, the total ex-GBTC inflows is now over 3 billion, 3.3 billion. But, you know, we're fighting the outflows from GBTC. And that's somewhere between, you can see here, you know, about four or 500 million per day, which is pretty substantial. So, Mark, how how long do you think uh, the overhang of the GBTC outflows are going to be with us? A couple weeks. I mean,
1: pick a number. I mean... That like 85% of statistics is made up on the spot. I mean, I I haven't done the exact math, but you know, there's there's a whole bunch of holders that bought GBTC when the price was 10, 15, you know, K. They're not selling. <laughs> Irregardless of, of what the the fee is, you can charge them 10%. They're not gonna sell because you're not gonna take a tax hit and pay a huge amount of those gains away, just to save you know one percent or you know, one hundred twenty basis points, and and clearly that's what grayscale was banking on. Now all the money in the tax exempt accounts, IRAs, retirement account, that's that's going, and you know by most estimates that I've seen that's about 20 percent. I don't think anybody knows exactly uh, of their assets, and I think what. What people just don't appreciate, I don't think they appreciate, is, you know, Grayscale, yes, it was $25 billion. Yeah. But they didn't raise $25 billion. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but my gut is it's around 10-ish billion. And that money came in, in the last bull run. And what people just, they've forgotten that big first move from 10 to 60 before the famous Elon quote, most of that was GBTC. Right? You had, you know, six, eight billion dollars coming into a market that was still, you know, reeling from the previous bear market before the last bear market. And, you know, someone I was uh, somebody was was uh going after Eric uh on Twitter yesterday saying, you know, your your numbers are wrong. I've never seen a three billion dollar inflow without, you know, prices mooning. I said, well, you know, Holmes, the, 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 the numbers are right. So yeah, you're just missing a variable. And that variable that that this person is not paying attention to is the sales. And the other thing that people aren't talking about, and I don't understand because it happens every single year is Chinese New year. Mm. Chinese New Year is coming, and they're gonna fill the red envelopes with cash, so they sell bitcoin and this year, the sales are gonna be worse than a normal year because you had big gains and then we're gonna have another one in you know late March, early April where People are going to have to sell to pay Uncle Sam. So these seasonal things, they happen. And the good news, you know, like my socks, the penguins are going to be out there snatching it all up and stuffing it away at Coinbase. And, you know, (laughs) the amount of money that's going to be made, both in fees and transactions, is is gonna be really good for these companies. And I think people are just lost in the weeds for some reason some reason. And I mean it's our own fault, community-wise, you know, I actually uttered the word God candle just like everybody else. And that was, you know, clearly not smart <clears throat> because my 30 billion number was never a day one number. Right? 30 billion is 0.1% of the 30 trillion. That was never a day one number. That was over time. And I will say, I did not believe, and I still kind of don't believe it, that three of the largest groups that I'm counting on all accepting this, you know, finally, and saying, yes, we're going to put it in the models, Merrill Lynch, UBS, and uh, Vanguard, basically got a call from Ms. Warren like, well, you can't say that for sure. Like, well, well, I can say whatever I want. I'm boisterous, remember? So uh, I can say that. And and I believe that's what happened. <clears throat> I think Ms. Warren gave him a call and said, nope,
0: you're not taking it. And um, so, I, you know, what? I, I don't even think I just think that if you talk to there are if you talk to people within these large financial institutions, there are lots of people. First of all, they're all very smart, but some of them have like really taken the time to understand what crypto is, the opportunity affords. I don't know, like for people who aren't on Twitter, if you've seen the Van Eck Twitter account, what it's been doing at the Franklin Templeton one, Jenny Johnson, she's not getting enough credit. I mean, she is out there talking about tokenization. We you know, actually about nine months ago. Is Jenny is that who's the Franklin Templeton person? Yes. Okay. Um, no, no, it's, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, it's her and Abby Johnson at Fidelity. I mean, two of the most forward thinking, you know, heads of financial institutions. I'm credit, a huge credit to both of them. But about nine months ago, Jason pinged me. He's like, hey, I just got off a call with Franklin Templeton. These people knew their stuff. Like sometimes, you know, when you talk to people at these big banks or large asset managers, yeah. they're still wrapping their heads around Bitcoin. They were way more in the weeds than that. So I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised to see this. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the big, uh, but but there are a lot of people that have not bought into that, and they're still just looking at it as this is some either digital pet rock or these numbers don't make sense to me. This is just icky. I mean, you you saw Jamie Dimon talking about this at uh, Dobbins. Ah, uh, but that no, look, th- that is the
1: oldest damn trick in the book. Yeah, you know, I tweeted that last night. Are are you not paying attention when you want to accumulate? a lot of an asset. What do you do? So that's what Jamie and everybody else in that upper echelon is doing. Uh, other than Larry, Larry's taken the other path. He's like, oh, I'm the enlightened one now, which is smart. And I'm the trusted one. And and they're going to do, they won't do as good a job educating as uh, Bitwise is doing. You know, Bitwise is Matt Hogan and those guys have been Educating on ETFs and, and how to integrate into your portfolio for two years, right? They've been working on this for two years and it's paying off in spades. But BlackRock will be close because they can pay big money to get really talented folks to produce content. Now, their ad was, was cringe. I mean, it was it was cringe. The guy had too much makeup and
0: but it's gonna work. You no, know, it's, it's gonna work, it's, it's gonna audience. work
1: because they know their client base. They know yeah. their client base. Their client base wants to hear new age music. They want to see, you know, the no tie with the suit coat. They want to see very calm. They don't want boisterous. They don't want yeah. Yusko. They want, yeah. they want Roboton. In fact, I said, are we sure that wasn't AI? I'm not sure that guy was a human. Um, but look, Jamie is clearly talking down the asset. So that his friends can buy it. They are going to do stuff to try to, you know, tamp it down so they can accumulate at a lower price. The second thing, and this, I, I said this last year, you know, every year at Devos, um, Jamie gets on TV, right? He's one of the most powerful people in the world. You don't have to like him. People say, Oh, he's an idiot. He's not an idiot. Trust me, he's not an idiot. He's a really smart man. And No, no, it's just so bad. It's just, it's just. He's He's a very competent
0: operator. I mean, one of the most.
1: most, He's one of the most powerful people in the world. You don't have to like him, but he is one of the most powerful people in the world. He runs the second or third largest bank in the world, and he has ten minutes on CNBC. He can talk about anything he wants. He can talk about climate scam. He can talk about you know what they had for lunch at the private room with the with the shakers. He can talk about anything. He's talking about Bitcoin. That is not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing.
0: Hey, everyone, wanted to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Copper. Copper is an institutional custodian and provider of prime services within digital assets. Today, what I want to talk to you specifically about is Clearloop. Clearloop is a solution from Copper, which to me solves one of the biggest problems for market makers, high frequency traders, hedge funds within digital assets. You know the exquisite pain of what I call the pre-funding problem. So if you want to take advantage of arbitrages that pop up across different exchanges, or you just have a a trading strategy, which requires you to be active on multiple different centralized exchanges, you have to pre-fund your account at each one of those exchanges. Now, this is not ideal for a whole bunch of reasons. One, you have to take counterparty risk from those exchanges, which we saw this last year can have major consequences. Two, It's capital inefficient. You have a whole bunch of assets spread out there. Most of them are not doing anything most of the time. And three, it's just not great from a workflow standpoint, and it creates administrative overhead. So enter Clearloop. Clearloop is the secure MPC custody solution provided by Copper. The way that it works is you deposit your assets into this MPC solution, which is owned and operated by you. Clearloop syncs up with a whole bunch of your favorite exchanges, and then you can trade securely from Clearloop itself while not taking any counterparty exchange risk with any of these exchanges. And it's a super easy and nice UX. Now, Clearloop is trusted by the likes of Flow Traders, Brevin Howard, Nickel, some of the best in the business. But the coup de gras is in the extreme edge case that one of these exchanges were to go bankrupt They have a very clever trust structure, which segregates your assets and keeps you completely protected. So click the link at the bottom of this episode, especially if you're a hedge fund or market maker and you want to learn more or better yet, Dimitri, the CEO, is actually going to be in person on a panel hosted by yours truly at Digital Assets Summit. So Das London, that's March 18th through 20th in London. So you should definitely click the link at the bottom of this episode, give your boy some credit, but also even better, come to Das London and hear from dimitri himself all right cheers everyone i've been in this space and watching it for six years i'm just happy people are talking to, i mean there, there was a period of time where people wouldn't talk about any of this stuff and now everyone at least has an opinion on it a lot of people like it a lot of people don't like it that's totally fine i think one one aspect of it that i've been thinking about recently is the uh there's this really great quote from jack Bogle about uh, commodities. And, mm-hmm. and this is, it's just funny. I, I, I didn't realize that Jack had said this about commodities, but this is <clears throat> a lot of the pushback that I've gotten about Bitcoin in the years when I try to talk to people about it. So the quote is commodities are a real losers game. He told me in the long run, they have no internal rate of return. You buy a commodity. Gold is a good example. You're betting you can sell it to somebody for more than you paid for it. I don't have an intelligent comment for that. It's absolute rank speculation. So you know, it's just it's just funny to 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 me. Um, I, I've been thinking about this within the context of Ethereum because ETH offers yield, and there's a there's a lot of uh, actually within the Ethereum community. Actually, there's a um, there are a lot of thoughts on whether to prioritize ETH, the asset, or the the holders of ETH, the asset, or the, like uh, liquid or uh, STEETH, the um, yield bearing uh, asset for ETH. And I don't know. I just I think. I mean, gold is not widely adopted within the financial system, right? And I think the reason for that is exactly what Jack Bogle just underlined there. Because many, many people just need, like, I need to be able to fit this into something like a DCF. I need to be able to model some sort of return here on a spreadsheet in a way that's going to make sense to me. And I want my dividend or the the payment part of fixed income or whatever it is. And I, for that reason, I actually think, even outside of uh, Bitcoin, I think there are going to be some other interesting crypto products that people are, are going to be talking about in Look, the coming years.
1: The <laughs> thing I love about Jack Bogle quotes is that everyone attributes them to this kind, gentlemanly grandpa who was perfectly pure intentioned and he's just trying to help. <laughs> he's richer than everybody else that invests in his company. Why is that? He played the game perfectly. He paid the government a lot of money so that he could be one of two primary providers of passive strategies. They got a law passed in 1986, Tax Act of 1986, that changed the way corporations did their pensions. They went from defined benefit, where you knew what you were going to get, to defined contribution. There were two things that that did. One, it cut the cost to corporations by 30%. They could put in 30% less of their profits every year into the pension. So they all voted for it and lobbied for it. And Jack got a constant stream of flows where he could charge, oh, just a little bit. I don't charge very much. I charge a little bit on a big shit ton of money. And he got super rich. And if you look at the average retiree today, They're fucked. And I shouldn't use that language, but they are fucked because they don't have enough. They have not compounded at a high enough rate. But, oh, it's so great because I'm paying low fees. You've been scammed. They have been scammed. So to say commodities have no value, really. Okay, price of gold in 1933 was $33. Today, an ounce of gold is $2,000. That's a return. In fact, that's as good a return as any other asset that you think is so great. And it's better than the fixed income returns that everybody talks about because those have been devalued by currency devaluation. So again, if you're at the tippy top in the all-seeing eye, you love this shit. But the average person is getting a raw deal. So God rest his soul, you know, everybody loves him and they're probably going to get, you know, lots of comments that you you suck for picking on no. Bogle or Bogle. But
0: he was not. Well, everyone has like a, you know, their brand or their persona or whatever, but it's not just him. I mean, I have lots of people that I've talked to oh, over the years. That's their big problem with Bitcoin that they just can't wrap their heads around. It, it was just interesting to see that this is no, something uh, that people are knocking It's
1: It's 100% on. correct, right? It's why it's classified. As a commodity, right? It is a commodity, and and Bitcoin in particular. It is digital gold, right? It is this store of value that's more divisible and more portable, so it has all the scarcity of gold, but it's better. And I, I meant to tweet this, but I I just got lazy and I didn't go find the pictures. But you know, there's an, an interesting thing about Bitcoin that traditional commodities don't have. And there was the, and, and what I was inspired by is after JP Morgan, you know, after Jamie was talking, someone tweeted the picture of, hey, Jamie, uh, at least Bitcoin's verifiable. Because there was a story that JP Morgan bought a bunch of nickel, right? The, the, the mineral. And it was in a warehouse and literally they opened the bags. It was full of rocks. It wasn't nickel. And so I wanted to get a picture of a vault full of gold and a vault that was empty because no one actually knows if all the gold is in Fort Knox. There are lots of rumors that it got taken out years ago, and you can't verify that it's there. With Bitcoin, you, you can verify on chain how much a central bank has or how much JP Morgan has. That's not true with physical commodities. They have to be independently. And this is the whole issue of tokenizing assets. The big challenge is you can tokenize my house, but someone's got to check that it didn't burn down.
0: Or I think you're getting at something super important here, Mark, which is there's a recent change to my mental model for uh, crypto specifically. So when people talk about, I think one of the big, value propositions of crypto on a long term time horizon is first of all it's a global financial system but also the assurances that it affords you are based on cryptography and not on whatever your local legal jurisdiction is yeah. and that's a massive difference so i I would what I would put first of all blockchains will design a lot of costs out of the system there are there's been some misunderstanding about this and Uh, you know, a lot of the cost that exists in global finance is not because the technology is just horrible on the rails. So there it's for things like clawbacks and stuff like that, you have to design that cost in. That's not a tech thing. But what you are subject to if you so, you know, TBD on how much fees are going to go down, they probably will go down a lot. But if you are in a jurisdiction that doesn't respect property rights, you have to you have to bet or you have to trust your government that they're not just going to take your stuff. And you know in a in a crypto system you don't have to do that you can because everything's programmatic you can grant hey this entity can do this on my behalf but not this and you don't need you, it's just baked right there in the code and your point property rights yeah property
1: rights property rights is what defines success in the world if you live in a jurisdiction that does not have well established and enforced property rights it's horrible yeah Horrible. Well, and, and that's like even common law, right? Even UK, British common law, you know, all the colonization and okay, that was bad, very bad. But it did leave a legacy of good law and good property rights. And, and look, government can still, through coercion and violence, mandate, right? They can say things like, you know, force majeure or uh, eminent domain. Yours is mine now. And most reasonable democracies slash republics um, don't do that very often. But there are plenty of places that do and can't do it. In in a cryptographically secure ledger that can't, you know, everybody's like, well, they're just going to ban it how? You're going to turn off every computer in the world simultaneously? I mean, I mean every node in the world, not every computer, but every node that's, that's connected to the network, it's not happening.
0: Yeah. I also think if you squint at it already, there are parts of our financial system that give you a glimpse of what the future is going to look like. So Swift, for instance, is not owned by one country or entity. What's the reason for that? What is not a tech thing? It's because there's value in all, if all of the countries in the world are going to use this system, then we want it to be somewhat neutral. It's not... Well,
1: the countries we neutral. want to use it, not, not right.
0: the countries that we don't like, because... Right. Well, it's obviously not super neutral, right? There's a degree, <laughs> but, uh, but you <laughs> yeah. can already... Well, and who gets to decide who's in yeah. it? That's it. Okay. Here's actually something that I want to get your, mm-hmm. your take on, because it, it pertains to crypto, but it's a broader story as well. Are you familiar with the Chevron Doctrine?
1: Hmm. Oh,
0: yeah, but no. Okay. This is a uh, it's it's actually a pretty landmark uh, precedent in U.S. administrative law. So this was a case that that happened back in 1984. There was a, a suit um, Chevron versus the NRDC, the National Resources and Defense Council. And basically, there was a there was a dispute around what like there was a clean air act that was passed in 1963. And there was a definition within the Clean Air Act, something called the stationary source. And there was this disagreement about what the word source actually means. And this, uh, it it had implications for something that Chevron was trying to do back then. Went all the way up to the Supreme Court and they decided that in the case of ambiguity, so basically, you know, for baseball fans is kind of a tie goes to the runner situation. They would defer to regulatory agencies. And this decision ended up being extremely impactful this isn't my editorializing. If you go to the, the Wikipedia page for it, it says this, that this is one of the most important decisions in U.S. administrative law. It's been cited in thousands of cases since its issuance in 1984. So 39 years later, in May of 2023, the uh, uh, Supreme Court granted care uh, theory, whatever, they're going to reevaluate uh, the Chevron case. And it looks like that is going to be reversed. So, it's pretty interesting because basically what it is, is it's a shift away from uh, regulators who have been given an enormous amount of latitude. And instead, things are going to go to the courts a lot more and to Congress. So the the pros of something like this, if you haven't been happy with the SEC, which I think it's becoming clear outside of your crypto, a lot of people are not. And we're going to get into because this has direct implications for the Coinbase SEC lawsuit that's going on. Um. Then basically, this is going to shift power away from regulators and towards uh, the legal system and and also Congress uh, to regulate this stuff. So, the pros of that again, if you haven't been happy with regulators, this is this is good. But on the on the more negative side of things, things are going to take a lot longer. You know, the legal system is a lot of things. Fast is not one of them. So it's just it's going to take longer to figure these things out. But it's it's not one. Yeah, it's kind of one of these. Things that feels a little nerdy and like a legal thing, and how is this going to impact me? But it has massive implications.
1: Um, I don't, I, and look, the, those are those are the things, the foundational things that that create huge kind of shifts over time, both in wealth and and rights. And it's it's the little things that no one's paying attention to. It's it's like you know the repeal of Glass Steagall. It's like, oh, that's just stupid law that was created in 1930. No, (laughs) you know, it made a huge difference to a certain number of large banks that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, it's stuff like that, that what, what bothers me about it is these things are always bought and paid for, right? They're always lobbied for. And, you know, it's like ACA, right? The Affordable Care Act, which has nothing to do with affordability or care. Neither one of those things have anything to do with what that, that, that bill actually does. It basically regulates an entire industry into existence that can skim money out of the system for not providing it. like United Healthcare is not a healthcare company. They're a claims processor. Yet they've become one of the largest and most successful stocks in US market history. Because they grift, and that that type of stuff is to your point. It's all on these little things that that are part of law, and once you get them changed, once you get them integrated, there's no going back. And well, there's not no going back. You can go back, you know, some number of generations later when people forget. But you know, it's it's, it's like. The, it was amazing to me to listen to the judge in the Coinbase case. Yeah. Debating with the SEC lawyers about whether laws written in 1933 could possibly be perfectly effective today. 90 years later. I mean, think. I mean maybe a few things have been invented in 90 years? Maybe? and 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 to to actually argue the point that nope nope that's perfect is is so disingenuous it's kind of comical and it just goes to the point of power well, i want to i i would like to maintain my power because that's that's good for me
0: hey everyone we'll be back to the program in just a moment but before we return wanted to let you know about das london das london is the largest institutionally focused conference in crypto hosted by blockwords but i wanted to give you an update because we are now 10 times oversubscribed for this conference. So the bad news is we've actually got to lower, as much as I love you guys, the listeners, we've got to lower our discount rate to margin 10. That's going to get you 10% off. I would highly recommend that you do that soon because you might have noticed, ticket prices have gone up 200 pounds and they're only going up from here. And I actually can't guarantee that we're going to have this discount rate forever. Since we last talked, we've had a whole bunch of new great speakers sign up for the conference. We've got Brad Garlinghouse as a keynote. We've got Pascal Gauthier as a keynote. We've got new speakers signed on from Goldman Sachs from Franklin Templeton, uh, from some of the largest family offices and allocators based out of the Europe. So Theta Capital Management, L1 Digital. And actually on day one of the conference, we're going to be having an investor day, which is a Chatham House Rules hosted by some of the largest investors in crypto. Then the other thing that happened is we've got our VIP tickets that just went live. There are only 60. But we've actually had a bunch of them that just sold out even in one day. So if you want to be a VIP at the conference, make sure you get your ticket. And again, use code MARGIN10 uh, to hang out with me and Mark, uh, March 18th to the 20th in sunny London town. Cheers. This is the title of the Wall Street Journal article. The Judge judge questions SEC's claim to regulate Coinbase. So the crypto exchange is seeking the dismissal of the lawsuit at the center of the agency's oversight strategy. So this is an ongoing suit between uh, that the SEC has brought against Coinbase, Coinbase is seeking to dismiss it, and this U.S. District Judge Catherine uh, Polk uh basically looks. It sounds like she's starting to side with with Coinbase, and there are a couple quotes here from the, this uh, trial that is, are super interesting. Which is, you know, "quote I want to understand how your standard does not sweep in the collect the collectible market or commodities. It is a real fear that I have that your argument is just sweeping too broadly." I mean, there, I, I could go on. There's a bunch of quotes like this, but basically it's just very, uh, you know, I'm not a legal expert. I hear this all the oh, time.
1: Oh, no, it was amazing. I mean, it, oh, I, and I loved it because, you know, I do both of these things, Pokemon and Magic the Gathering. But they actually came up in the conversation. Basis that, so, so you're telling me that that Pokemon cards are a security? Right. Come on. I mean, right. and it it's... And then they use the term Beanie baby. Everyone always comes back to Beanie Babies. Like, yes, people bought them on the assumption that they would go up in value because the guy who manufactured them said that over and over and over again on television, right? He went on Shopping Channel and said, yeah, these things are going to go up. And they printed lists of future value. And yeah, Princess Dye Bear, they only made a thousand of them or whatever. And if you actually still have one, then yeah, you can sell it on eBay for more. But that's not a security. And I, I I don't. I my mom used to have, I mean, literally, like Tupperware containers of these beanie babies under the bed, like under every and my dad was like, What are you doing? But you know, she was gonna get rich
0: on eBay. So- so- it's it, the one of the other um, sort of sound bites that came out of the this discussion was that you know they reiterated this there were, in the Xrp case judge Torres you know made a distinction in between the token and the investment contract itself uh, yep. the token and the the sale of the token so the contract and it seems like this judge also agreed with that interpretation. So yep. the implication here is that it looks like there are the foundations of precedent being built that many of these tokens which the SEC has, Directly stated, they they believe our securities. It doesn't look like the legal system actually agrees with them and doesn't view them as securities, which would be mm-hmm. huge. Because if you're a if you're a participant in crypto, like I am, shut off from an enormous amount of products, airdrops, things like that. It's just frustrating. I, I just it's 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 a little condescending of of the legal system to quote protect me.
1: I from mean, this. the next thing you're going to come after is my stamp collection. I mean, when I was a little kid, I accumulated this big stamp collection. Now I, don't, I haven't touched it in you know forty years, but you tell me that's a, a security, and that you know if I want to, well, what what would happen is you know I used to I used to buy big bags of stamps from uh, H E Harris was the big company that back then that, that I bought stamps from, and then I would put them into little bags and I would sell them to all my friends on the street for you know ten times markup or whatever, and. So I now I need a money transmitter license, and I'm pro, I probably I, heck, now now I'm, I probably just fessed up. I'm probably going to go to jail or something um, for violating securities
0: laws back when I was
1: ten. But crazy.
0: Mm. So let's um, let's move on to macro here a little bit, and I have I have a feeling I, I know what you're going to say to this, but we had jobless claims uh, come out, and they were um, basically weaker than expected. So we we're expecting 205k previous was 202, we actually got 187. And in in terms of continuing claims, we got the expectation was um, 1840. And we actually got 1806. So looking, looking basically strong, like the labor market is still relatively tight. But I'd be curious to, I mean, what do you think about that? Because I know, you know, the birth death ratio, and you know, you've been talking about it for a long time, starting to see a lot of other commentators agree that this is kind of an outdated way of looking at the the jobs market, but just anecdotally, it does seem like it's not. Well, it's not
1: unemployment a- claims are different though. I mean, the unemployment claim numbers, those are pretty real, right? I mean, unemployment claims, people got to show up. You got to file your forms. So I, I, I struggle with this one um, in that I do believe that the the lowest level of employment is super tight. I mean, I see it everywhere. I tried to go to brunch this weekend um, with my wife. You know, our son was out at a a play date and we're like, oh, we'll have a a date brunch. And um, so uh, we show up and we are number 76 on the wait list. This is Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I, I wasn't sure there were 76 families that went out to brunch. That's nuts. That's, I mean, that's, that's, two yeah. hours, Michael. Two hours, and the food is good. It's a place called Snooze. I mean, food was good, but it just blew me away. But then when we got inside, I found out why. They didn't have enough wait staff. There are a bunch of empty tables, but they didn't have enough waitstaff to to you know bring the food out. And even when we got in. <laughs> you know, the manager finally came over to us and said, all right, let me get your drinks. And I've had multiple experiences, whether it's retail, um, you know, restaurants. So I do believe, and probably this is despite the the, you know, this will be not not favorably perceived, but despite the illusion that there's some invasion at the border, um, I think our immigration policy has changed a lot in the last eight years. And we just don't have people because the boomers aren't going to do that job, right they're just not, and a lot of and and then there's the the there's this trough between the boomers and the millennials that you know they, they, there was there was a baby bust, and so there's just not enough people, and maybe part of it is you know it's college town, the college kids they're not actually going to do the work they they got credit cards and they're going to go, you know, do the brunch. But I don't know. So I I, I don't think there's a lot of unemployment at that level. But there's a huge amount of unemployment, but I don't think they file claims. Like if you're laid off from Google, I just don't believe those people are going and standing in line to file a claim.
0: I don't yeah. think. I don't think, yeah. I, I, and it could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. I don't think you are. I, But that is a relatively small part of the labor force, right? I mean, it's, it's not massive. a million people.
1: I, I don't know what the number. I mean, it's a million people have been laid off by big tech in yeah. the past year. And that, to me, seems like a big number. And again, I would think those people, they got good severance packages. They They have some stock. I don't think they are filing claims. Like, if you're a factory worker or a... Or a construction worker, or a day laborer, you're going to show up, and you're going to do. You're going to file your claim. Now, again, maybe I'm missing the boat on that, but that's that's my only justification. Is there are certain parts about the economy that look so strong, like waiting two hours to get a brunch, but then there are other parts of the economy. You look at the Empire State number.
0: Yeah,
1: oh, huge horrible. horrible. I mean, yeah. horrible. You look at um, uh, yeah, well, Cam Harvey, right? You know, doubt it. Doubt Duke. He's got this recession indicator. You know, it's undefeated, eight for eight, and saying this time it's saying the same thing. Um, you got the Druckenmiller indicator, which is a combination of things. Bank lending, oh, bank lending went negative only for the second time in a hundred years. So there Why are things. Bank lending go negative. Uh, the growth rate. Oh, okay. The growth okay. rate of okay. loans, got it, got it. right? The got growth it. rate of demand for loans. Yeah, yeah. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Is is again? Figures lie liars figure. It, you know, it, it's like when people say, you know, inflation has been eradicated. You know, the White House says inflation. No, we got the growth rate back to a level that it was when you came into office, but that's still three percent, of growth in inflation, and that's still understated. But, but. It's growth rates versus actual
0: nominal values. I have one more question that I wanted to ask you, but I'm blanking on it. Um, you know what I, I will say as a, uh, as a closing, maybe um, we can tease for folks who are coming to London. There was some talk internally at Blockworks about organizing a little, maybe an on the margin empire uh, for folks who listen, a little hang in, in London. Oh, yeah. absolutely.
1: Shakespeare's head, baby. Yeah. Shakespeare's Head's a beautiful pub. And, um, and we definitely need to do it. We never, we definitely need to have, you know, um, pints with, you know, podcasters, pints with podcasters. There we go. Um, but, but look, DAS is going to be amazing. Not, not just because you guys are running it and because you've invited all the, the great um, speakers, but, but mostly because of who comes right. And, and it's like this every week, we're given the gift to be able to do this and people embrace it. And as I, I had another one This I didn't, I mean, I didn't have the in-person, Hey, I listen to you every week, but I had this another cool one where someone from literally halfway around the world in very broken English. Cause you know, his English was better than my, uh, their language. And just saying every Saturday I'm right there listening to you and here's here's my cup of coffee, and here's the picture. He literally took a screenshot of of us talking like this. That's just so cool, and it's that community, and that, um, and to be able face to face and have that community engage, and uh, share a pint, I think is
0: going to be going to be awesome. So it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. I also, you know, I have mentioned this to you a couple of times, but we're tracking like this is, I mean, the inbound for this conference is bananas and the list of people it's like it's 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 interesting because there are definitely people who are in the crypto industry but there are a lot of like institution like i see the the reg list and yeah there's a very 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 interesting uh, and very institutional i
1: think think we've crossed the chasm on real right i mean yeah the first part like i would say the first five years it was a science What's project. Important. I mean, a yeah. couple cool. cypherpunks. You know, I, I love when I'm, I'm, I'm debating with these with the Max, some of the maxis and they're like, everyone could have done it when Hal and Satoshi were, were doing the first transaction. Like, nope. Nope. It was not widely known. It was not widely shared. There was a little message board of, of a couple people. And, and I'm internally grateful for those people. But it was not available to everyone. I, I just It's just a comical statement. And even in those first few years, you know, Bitcoin pizza guy, everybody's like, oh, what an idiot. I'm like, no, no. Thank you. Proving that you could do a transaction with Bitcoin.
0: Yeah.
1: No one knew what was going to happen. No one knew it was going to become digital gold because it wasn't intended for that. It was intended originally, right? To allow us to exchange value without a third party, peer to peer that's what it was designed for and i think in the back of the designers minds it was going to replace currency that's going to take a while but but certainly the technology is there but but even in those first 5 years you know the price was 0. .00013 cents or 0. .001 cent or 1 cent the, the miracle the miracle was it went to a dollar mm. 10,000 to 100,000, it's not a miracle. <laughs> that is, that's not a miracle. The miracle was it got to a dollar. Or pick a number, 50 cents, a yeah, dollar. Yeah. Just That was the miracle. The last 10 years, even that, it's a really small number of people that care, that have knowledge. Now, it's not ubiquitous, right? There's still people, I mean... <laughs> This is the, the 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 video that's going around of the guy asking the two girls about, you know, how long would it take you to go if you're traveling 80 miles an hour and they're struggling and they're struggling, <laughs> you know, you didn't even have to ask them what's Bitcoin because they, and I don't, I feel badly for those two young girls because it's failure of our educational system, not them, but um, it was kind of funny. And th- those, you ask those people what Bitcoin is, they have no idea. So, but the cool thing is, if you ask the people at BlackRock, they all know now. You ask the people at Fidelity. Well, they've known for a long time because Fidelity is amazing and Abby's great. Mm-hmm. But yep. you ask people at Deutsche Bank five years ago, like, what are you talking about? Now, they're like, I'm going to this conference. You ask the people at Marshall Wace, right, very famous hedge fund, five years ago, they're like, what are you talking about? Man, they were they, you know, they're smart. They maybe they knew a little bit, or a couple of their people knew a little bit, but now a whole bunch of people. I don't know, Paul himself might show up. But um I think that's really the difference is the the number of people that that have said, All right, I'll do the work. Cause that's the thing. If you didn't start skeptical of this. Yeah, you weren't you. You really weren't doing your job because to just accept it at face value without thinking about it and being cerebral about it and and, and having some doubt and some skepticism doesn't make sense to me. I agree. Now, the ones that did the best, and when I say best, meaning they were the earliest, were the ones that got through that doubt the fastest. Mm-hmm. Right? I would say you know the Winkle boss twins and I we we got exposed the same same month. They were smarter than me. They, they got it faster. Um, maybe it's because they were crew rowers. But um, it took me a longer time to do the work. But once you do the work, and doing the work doesn't mean you have to do complex mathematical calculations. It just means sit with it. Sit with it and think about it. Talk right. to some people about it and understand once you do that, you can't unsee it. And you can't not want to come to Das. And not just DAS, but but mostly DAS. And you can't not want to be part of this community. You can't not want to be with really smart people who are embracing new technology and literally changing the fabric, this a big statement, changing the fabric of society.
0: That's pretty damn cool. I'm with you, Mark. I'm completely with you. I think that's as good of a place as any to leave it. Um, as always, best hour of my week, my friend. Can't wait to... Always. London is coming up soon. I can't wait to hang in person. It'll be... It is
1: coming. It is coming. Two, is coming. Uh, two months.
0: And, uh, to the day. So, yeah, it'll be very fun. Thank you. Um, all right. You bet. Have a good weekend.